as the Lord leads. That's the announcements you're getting this morning. So I have a bunch of them. So here we go. Lots to share with you. Uh, first, there are always ways to give. We encourage you as a community who belong here, those of you who attend this church, to continue to give to the ministries of this church. It makes a real difference, and there are lots of ways. E-transfer, uh, check, and cash. There's an offering box at the back, and there are offering envelopes in your pews, pre-authorized debit. If you do do e-transfers, just a reminder to put your name and your address in the e-transfer so that our administrator knows who you are and can put them in appropriately. Two, I want to say thank you and welcome to David Lee. It's so nice to have him back with us. For those of you who don't know David, he was the worship, uh, not worship, pastoral intern at our church for a year and a member of our community. And he is actually working in a pastoral position at a church in Surrey. But he comes and leads worship here time to time because A, he loves us, and B, we love him. So thank you. And C, because I um, was away for a week, I was doing some training to offer spiritual direction, which I'm very excited about. And then we had the half day of prayer yesterday, which was also wonderful. And so I had my hands full with that. So David is helping out. The half day of prayer, we had 15 people. It was wonderful, a great time. And um, one of the things that came up is that both Rob Clausen and I, on our own independently, had the week of prayer on our hearts. So the week of prayer happens in January, and often it kind of sneaks up on us because Christmas is so busy. But he and I both this year would really love to see that week of prayer uh, well invested in, paid attention to. And he already has some ideas, and he's already planning. But I would love also to have a group of people who have a heart for prayer and are willing to come alongside um, to organize it with him. So if you are interested in helping um, brainstorm, be creative, plan the week of prayer, could you talk to Rob Clausen? And there he is right there. Rob is also leading, ha-ha, thank you, the baptism and worship, <laughs> baptism and membership class. So, and that started this morning as well. I wanted to follow up on the Thanksgiving food drive. Uh, some people in our congregation took the food that we had gathered for Thanksgiving and took it to share this week. And they told us that we had donated about 320 pounds of food to the food drive. So thank you all. Yes, you can give yourselves. <laughs> And what a blessing to our community in need um, right now. Speaking of blessing, our local community, we are still in need of a chest freezer for the bread ministry. So a few times a month, once or twice a month, we receive food uh, from Cobb's Bread that we give out to our local community. And we would love to have a chest freezer to help support that. So if that's something that you can offer, uh, please yeah, let Yosef Mamuller know. And then lastly, hey, I'm doing pretty good. Lastly, for the last several years, we have been partnering with MCC by putting together relief kits for families whose lives have been disrupted by conflict or disaster. Putting relief kits together for refugees around the world lets them know they are loved, they are seen, that they matter. And so we're starting now. 
uh, with the goal of filling 100 buckets by Christmas Eve. We have done this for a couple years now, and it's such a blessing. The need for relief kits continues to grow. Um, last year, MCC shipped over 32,000 relief kits to countries like Cuba, Iraq, Jordan, Syria, the Ukraine, and there's just, there's a huge need for that. And so if we as a community can contribute and show a very real and tangible way of letting people know who are in need, that they are loved and they are mattered. The kits are filled with things like, um, the kits are filled with things that those people themselves, refugees have themselves, have said they need. Practical things like toothbrushes and uh, laundry bars of soap and towels. And so we're going to be talking about this some more, but there's already information on our website and the buckets will be making their way soon. I don't think they're here yet. No, so uh, the buckets will be making their way here soon. We'll be talking more about that, but I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind. And now I want to continue to worship. And so I'll turn it over to you, David. Thank you. And uh, kids, you're dismissed at this time for Kids Zone. And uh, many of you probably know that the winter shelter program began at the first of the month here at, at our church. And so I've had many people asking me, you know, how many people, how's it going? So I thought, let's get a quick brief update from uh, Debbie Fell, who's been overseeing this for us. And Debbie, if you can please uh, give us an update on that. Good morning. Good morning. So yeah, we've kicked off with our shelter. Wednesday, we started with our winter shelter and it's going very well. Um, I was in last night, and it's running smoothly, and I'm really, really pleased. We're getting uh, a fair amount of people in. The weather is getting worse. And so we're getting in about maybe 18 to 20 people right now, and the numbers are going up. So while that pleases me, uh, it doesn't please me that those people are out on the streets, but it does please me that they're coming in and that they're able to stay overnight in our church. So we've got uh, some things happening in our church. Uh, I did talk about people that were comfortable coming in and, and uh, uh, being able to social and help serve during the time that we have people in for the shelter. And uh, so we've got a couple. We've got a group that's going to be making dinner for a night or two. We've got uh, this weekend, I do believe, there was a cookie baking thing going on for the lunches. We've got some involvement of people that want to come in. Uh, last night, we had the Coquitlam Mandarin youth come in, and they're going to be coming in on Saturdays to help serve and to socialize. And it was interesting this morning because David was talking about, David Lee was talking about uh, his, he shared about what his kids were talking about in their study. And I think kids are amazing. They're absolutely amazing. And they have so much to give, and they have so much to teach us. And last night, this group that was in, they stayed and they talked with people and they helped set up things and uh, it, it was a small group but they had so much joy and they really gave a lot to the people that were there but what really amazed me and what I think is so great about kids is when I was heading out and they were leaving a couple of the kids came up to me and said thank you so much for this opportunity and I thought wow I got a lot to learn 
you know, there's, thank me for the opportunity, like, thank you for coming in. So that whole attitude about, I have an opportunity to serve, um, I find kids are just full of that a lot of times, and, and that excitement to be able to help out. And uh, so, yeah, it was really encouraging for me to see that. We have uh, a couple of needs for this still. I, I don't stop collecting clothing and stuff like that. I know we get that great big surge beforehand, but we really appreciate the clothing that you bring in. Uh, I noticed last night when I was in, over half the coats are gone. Um, the, uh, over half the, half the stuff on the tables are cleared out. And it is very, very much appreciated. And as I said before, nobody out in the street gets a whole lot of chance to do laundry. So to be able to come in and get a dry pair of socks and a change of underwear and uh, something that's warm to put on to go back out, is, it's, it's amazing for them. They really appreciate it. And I really appreciate all the donations coming in. We're pretty well signed up for most of the schedules. There's one or two spots at the lunch-making schedules that still need to be filled. So thank you for people that have volunteered. And we've got uh, cookies coming in. Uh, I do need, I haven't checked this morning. I know that Fran and her cookie bakers would bake some cookies this weekend, so I haven't seen what's in there. But I know that we were getting a little bit low. low. So if anybody is into baking cookies, I would love to see uh, some more cookies in the freezer. Basically, bake your cookies or squares, two in a baggie, and baggies in a freezer bag, and toss them in the, the kitchen in the uh, freezer. But uh, other than that, everything is going really well, um, and it's a great group that is in there from Progressive. They're, they're really stoked. Uh, I was really impressed with the caliber of the people that are in there and that are relating to uh, the, the persons that are coming in off the street. So, it, yeah, it's good. So thank you very much. Um, th the other thing, um, gloves, uh, a big need for gloves, men's toques, and winter coats. So thank you for all the people that are very quietly doing those kind of things, uh, volunteering and dropping off things and stuff. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, quickly, that's a, a little bit hard to compare. She just asked how does it compare it to previous years. We have taken different months and different years. So uh, as far as overall numbers, we have way more numbers of homelessness. We did, uh, I was on, a, I'm on the task force and we had a meeting on Friday and the numbers have gone up in the Tri-Cities. I think it was like 36% in the last couple of years of people that are homeless. So to compare for us, we get different numbers because depending on which month we take. So this month, as the weather gets colder, we're going to get more people in. But overall, in, in the Tri-Cities, there's about 36% increase of people that are on the street. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Debbie, for the, uh, for the update. Have you ever wondered how maybe your experience, our experience as Christians in the West compares to the experience of Christians in uh, other parts of the world? You may not realize it, but many Christians around the world, for them, life is extra hard. 
They resonate with the statements in the Bible that we tend to breeze over. Like Philippians 1.29, It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. For over 30 years, Open Doors World Watch has reported on the global trend of Christian persecution. For example, globally, more than 360 million Christians suffer at least high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. In 1993, Christians faced high to extreme levels of persecution in 40 countries. This number has nearly doubled to 76 countries in 2023. Worldwide, one in seven Christians now experience at least high levels of persecution or discrimination. One in five if you're in Africa, two in five in Asia, and one in 15 in Latin America. This snapshot of global persecution helps explain why the New Testament letter of 1 Peter that we've been looking at, with its message of how to stand firm in the face of persecution, it's one of the most popular books of the Bible for many Christians outside of the Western world. I wonder, is it possible that Christians in the West have drunk so deeply from the well of materialism, consumerism, and prosperity that we have forgotten who and what we are living for? For God's kingdom or for our kingdom? For the original readers to whom Peter wrote, their identity as Christians was both, it was a great source of joy and of great suffering. Peter wrote to encourage them to make the most of both. Uh, You may recall back in chapter 1, I titled that uh, chapter, You're Richer Than You Think. Peter reminded them of the great riches that they have in salvation. And in chapter 2, he talked to the church and he said, You're grander than you think. What a grand design God is building. And then in chapters 3 and 4, basically he says, Live like this in your private, that is in your home life, and in your public life. Why and how, then, can believers make the most of suffering and persecution and hardship? Let's read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin, As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for their evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Having uh, ended chapter 3 with the glorious results of Christ's suffering, Peter picks up on the relationship between Christ's suffering and that of his followers. As Peter noted back in chapter 3, verse 18, Christ suffered, he suffered greatly in his body for us, the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And the results of this, of our Savior suffering for us, that was unique. He saved us from our sin and death. But there is also an aspect of Christ's suffering that we are called to emulate, to follow for our good, for the good of others, and for the glory of God. And let's look at this in more detail. Peter begins in verse 1 by encouraging his readers to follow the example of Christ's attitude towards suffering. Notice the way Peter puts it. Arm yourselves with this same attitude. That phrase, arm yourselves, brings out the force of the Greek, which it conveys the metaphor of going out to battle after being equipped, of putting on one's armor. In this case, we're not to arm ourselves with any weapons, but an attitude, a frame of mind, as Jesus did, that enabled him to face and endure suffering. In fact, in verse 12 of this chapter, Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange is happening to you. Paul said similar things to the Thessalonians. For you know quite well, he said, that we were destined for trials. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that you would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. Christ knows what it's like to be ridiculed, reviled, beaten, spit on, and subjected to the worst possible injustice. He knows what it's like to be abandoned, to be publicly humiliated and shamed. He expected it, and he prepared for it by arming himself with God's perspective, with God's plan, and with God's power. And so must we. And Peter follows up on what we need to do with why we need to do it in the second half of verse 1. The first half of the verse seems clear, but there's been much debate over that second half of verse 1. Why we should arm ourselves with Christ's attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Who is done with sin? Whoever suffers in the body. Really? Why did he say earlier, then rid yourself of all these kind of sinful attitudes? And why does he urge them to abstain from sinful desires? Hmm. The context, fortunately, both before and after, clarifies what he means. It's important to clarify meaning. This past week, I <clears throat> went in for some dental surgery, and I was sure the person on the phone said, and make sure you come in 
You know, when you come for the dental surgery in shorts and a t-shirt. It was rather cold this week. I thought, really? Shorts and a t-shirt? And then it was only after I did that, noticed no one else had shorts on, I realized, I think she said, she said, short-sleeved t-shirt. Ah, yes. Well, Bible reading can be like that sometimes, and we can go off on tangents, and we should just read the next verse, right? (laughs) Okay, so it clarifies. Whoever suffers like Christ did, and I think he's going back, you know, suffering for doing good, not for evil. That's what he's been talking about, the kind of suffering. Show, when you live like that, you show that you have died to sin as your master, as the controlling influence in your life. And therefore, as a result, notice in the next verse, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. This is very similar to Paul's words in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, that believers should count themselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And by suffering, that is for doing good, Christ showed his opposition to sin and sinful desires. And when we arm ourselves with his attitude, with his frame of mind, we will say a firm no to temptation of sin. And and Peter has already covered back in chapter 3, speech ethics in 3 verse 10. Uh, In verse 3.11, he's covered social ethics. And here he will cover moral ethics. And he says, we will fix our minds on what the suffering of Christ accomplished for us and for others. And when we suffer for Christ and with Christ in the same cause, we show that we are so done with sin. Not in the absolute sense of of not being tempted by it, but in the sense of not letting it run our lives. We do not live the rest of our earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather, he says, for the will of God. Followers of Christ then have a new attitude towards sin. We've moved from love to hate of sin. And a new attitude towards suffering, now willing to embrace it rather than hate and suffer and avoid it. And why this change? Because we've been given, we have a new allegiance to Christ, and a new aim in life, to please God, rather than ourselves. When someone, when our son years ago, when he suddenly had a new aim in life, you know, to become a professional flute player, there's a lot of things he said no to, so that he could say a big yes to. In in our lives, too. I'm reminded in the Bible, uh, the mindset that Joseph in Genesis had, when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, She said, come to bed with me. And his response, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? It's like, you've made it look appealing, but from how I'm looking at it, how could I dare do that? And so to paraphrase Peter here, he says, you know who you are and what you are living for. You know what this second chance at real life cost. And you don't want to dare squander or waste this new life that Christ gave you. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do, he says, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Mostly what, uh, you know, many movies feature. 
And the media's images, many in our day, of the good life feature many of these. But the sobering reality is very different. Uh, you have probably heard in the news, you know, the recent death, the tragic death of Matthew Perry, star on, on Friends. And uh, what I came across was what he said earlier in this year uh, in an interview uh, based on the book. He had just new memoir that he had written, Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. The Big Terrible Thing being, uh, well, let him, I'll, uh, if you could show that clip, please. And alcoholism did not care that I was on Friends. And al alcoholism wants you alone, it wants you sick, and then it wants to kill you. In the book, I, I, say, I compare it to the Joker, because the Joker just wants to see the whole world burn. And so does alcoholism and addiction. And it took over decades of my life. All the images and advertising that associate the good life with what pagans do. It's not telling the whole truth, is it? But this distorted idea of the good life has so gripped the world, the crowd. Peter says that they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But, he says, they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The image of God as judge and the biblical truth that one day we will all stand before God's judgment seat and give an account of ourselves to God doesn't get much airtime in our day, does it? It's kind of an inconvenient truth. I know judgment was overplayed in many churches in the past, but it is underplayed by many to our own peril and to others. There is such a thing as good and evil. And many people, despite uh, they're trying to dress up evil and call it good, uh, you know what? God is not going to be mocked. Those who celebrate and practice what God calls evil and who heap abuse on those who, who follow God's standards are under divine judgment. Peter says the living and the dead. It's, it's a way of saying all people throughout history, this is universal, are responsible and accountable to God for their attitudes and their actions. All of us. And if judgment applies to the past no less than the present, on what basis are those who lived in the past going to be judged? The dead are already included in the judgment along with the living because they too, Peter says, have heard the gospel. Well, clearly not all in the past heard the gospel as it has been presented since Jesus' death and resurrection. But they have heard the good news that salvation is found in repentance and faith and trust in God. As far back as Melchizedek in Genesis, Rahab in the book of Joshua, many other people who joined the Israelites with the Israelites at the Exodus. And the reason that the gospel was preached, even to those now dead, was the same reason it is preached to those who are alive so that people might be saved. 
I think the point that Peter is making in the second half of verse 6 is that those who hear the gospel and respond positively, even if they are persecuted and killed for their faith, that is judged and condemned by misguided human standards, they will ultimately be vindicated by God and live with him in the spirit that is forever, living in the spirit of God. For the reality, he says in verse 7, is that the end of all things is near. A reality that is echoed by other New Testament writers like the Apostle Paul, John, and by Jesus himself, who warned everyone to be ready, Jesus said, because the Son of Man will come at an hour that you do not expect him. And so this expectation of the imminent inbreaking of God's final and full rule is generally neglected until a personal or public crisis prompts us to serious prayer or speculation about whether are we living in the end times? Are we living in the end times? Yes, absolutely. How can I be so sure? Because the Bible says that we are and that we have been living in the end times since Jesus' first coming. We are the ones on whom the end of the age has come, Paul will say. You know, there are two core truths about end times discussion. You boil it down to two core truths. A, we don't know when Jesus is coming. Within this generation, don't know, maybe. Don't know when he's coming. And the second key point is, so be ready. That's what Jesus said. That's what the New Testament writers say. And since the end is just right around the corner, then the most reasonable thing to do is to be alert and of sober mind. And the word means clear-headed. So that you may pray. Pray. Pray that he'll return before my big assignment that I've neglected is due. Boy, it's a common crisis prayer. I've prayed that in my life. Uh, but not the ideal prayer that Peter has in mind. Peter actually uses the word in the plural, prosukas, prayers, to indicate that he has repeated acts of prayer in mind. What kinds of prayers? All kinds, I suspect. But since the next verses focus on the congregation, its activities, its relationships, he probably wants them to keep corporate prayers at the heart of their gathered life. And the second practice that Peter says ought to be a, a regular rhythm in the Christian life is to love each other superficially. No, 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 that one's pretty easy. He says deeply. Uh, the Greek word is kind of interesting here, ektenos. It means at full stretch. At full stretch. Indeed, he says this should be dove above all. That is of first importance. And it is crucial that we learn to love each other deeply because as I. Howard Marshall points out, this love will be stretched to the limit by the demands made on it. What demands? Are there people in the church who try your patience? Sometimes. People who want you to be available when they need help, but are unavailable when you need theirs? 
People who think their spiritual gift is constructive criticism. It's a stretch to love some people, isn't it? Myself included. My family reminds me of that. <laughs> Only love is powerful enough to cover over a multitude of sins. Amen? I appreciate what uh, Desmond Tutu and his daughter say in the book of Forgiving. They say, because we are human, some of our interactions will go wrong. And then we will be hurt, then we will hurt or be hurt or both. It is the nature of being human and it's unavoidable. But forgiveness is the way we set those interactions right. It's the way we mend tears in the social fabric. It's the way we stop human community from unraveling. We see a lot of unraveling in our world, don't we? Conflicts escalating. You know, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, he also said, True love keeps no record of wrongs. Wow. That is so difficult. It takes God to help us do that. Positively speaking, he says, Christ-like love offers hospitality to one another without grumbling. You see, the early church had no church buildings. And so they met in homes. So whoever hosted the church gathering hosted the whole church. And their meetings often included meal together, which meant more work. Traveling Christian preachers and teachers would also be hosted for meals and overnight, so hospitality was essential. And extra work, especially when many of them lived in small homes, giving up their bed or space for the guests. And it's probably why Peter adds that phrase, do it without grumbling. Actually done frequently and without grumbling. It would have strengthened their bonds. And it still does whenever it's done. I was just at a, a provincial conference the other week and I stayed with, my, uh, uh, with Elaine's sister and brother-in-law with family. I don't think we'd ever, I'd ever stayed overnight at their place before. And they hosted me. They had to do some extra work. And I made some noise in the morning getting up early, you know. And I was thankful they did it without grumbling. In fact, it was good. It was great to be together. And Peter also commands everyone in the church. Notice he says, each of you to use whatever gift you have received to serve others. In fact, it's stewardship as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That word can mean multicolored. It can be of a, of a rainbow. This multifaceted, this multicolored grace of God that expresses itself through God's people, through the gifts and abilities that are used in surface to him and to others. And uh, there, here he highlights the speaking and the serving gifts. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans 12, there are many more. Prophesying, teaching, encouraging, giving, showing mercy, healing. The, the list goes on. And this, Peter is saying, is a third mark of a strong and healthy church that carries out God's work even in very trying circumstances. 
with the strength God provides. Have you ever serving and you say, like, I'm so done? Sometimes it's because we are, are doing it in our strength. And it's like, no, for this to get through all the way to the end or to do it without grumbling, it's going to require more than your own strength. It's going to require the strength God provides. So that in all things you will be praised, so that in all things God will be praised through Jesus Christ. Three quick concluding applications. Quick to say them. I don't know how he's not quick to do them. Uh, one, face suffering with a Christ-like attitude. Face suffering with a Christ-like attitude. I don't know what you're going through, but you're going to need to lean in to what Christ faced. And to be reminded that this is, Peter will say earlier, is, this is what pleases God. When you suffer for doing good, when it's unjust, and it just can grate on you, but God is pleased because he knows what this is like, and he wants you to participate in what he is doing and wants done in the world. And facing suffering also tends to solidify our faith and commitment to Christ. Secondly, live with the end in mind, which Peter says that will keep you from wasting your life on the world's version of the good life. Don't waste your life. One of Matthew Perry's, you know, his mission, he said earlier his prayer in life was, God, make me famous. And then, after he was famous and his life was a mess, he wanted to make sure that what was famous for was not being on friends, but trying to help people to not be overcome by alcoholism and addiction. That's what he wanted. He wanted to know that they could be helped. Live with the end in mind. And invest your life in doing God's will. Spiritually, socially, ethically, morally. This is the point. These are the things that Peter has been saying. And thirdly, be a triple threat. Now, you need to know what a triple threat is, right? If you are in the arts, for example, a, a triple threat means you can dance, you can sing and you can act. Maybe a triple threat in basketball, you know how to dribble and shoot and uh, you know how to pass. So the three things he is saying, pray regularly, love deeply, serve faithfully. I don't know if there's any that stand out to you. The one when I was working at it this week that stood out to me so much is pray pray regularly. And I so much appreciated that we had a, a gloriously good half day of prayer yesterday. I think some had a gloriously good youth retreat uh, the previous weekend. Some spoke to me recently of a glorious good small group that they have been a part of. And uh, doing these things strengthen the faith community and glorify God and others. I want to invite the worship team to come up, and as they're coming, let's pray. Oh Lord, we confess that um, too often we are taken in by the message of the world, and we, we more and more of our lives, we end up living for ourselves. And we forget, Lord, um, 
just how much we have been gifted and given a second chance by you, what the life that we have in you has cost you. And you don't, you give miserly, you give gloriously, generously, and you just keep inviting us to live into the truly good life, the godly life, which is truly gives peace and harmony. Lord, you also invite us to be your participants. You know, you do everything well. We do things imperfectly, and yet your desire for us is to be participants fully with you. You give each of us a gift, an interest, an ability, and you say, use it. And so, Lord, I pray that, uh, that we would see the gifts of God's people used in ways that enrich others' people's lives and bring you glory. Amen. Boy, doesn't pay help to be colorblind. Okay. <laughs> Can't tell when it's on or off exactly. Nice organ there. <laughs> I, I, uh, I saw David Toth with a big smile on his face the other week with a new toy or the new gift that he had uh, gotten from someone, a Hammond. And uh, it is wonderful to see that not just in a corner delivered, but uh, playing along to the glory of God and leading God's people in worship. If you would like prayer, uh, I want to encourage you, invite you to uh, uh, Glenn and Dana Cockle are going to be available here up at the front immediately after the service. And I know they would love to pray for you and uh, to pray with you. And it can be an answer to prayer, or it can be uh, a need in your own life or in someone else's life that you are just interceding to God for. I want to encourage you to do that. I want to leave you with uh, just a reminder for the communion, just to take the cups and just to throw those away, the used ones, on your way out. And if you'd like to give toward the Elder Care Fund, just uh, mark that in an envelope, and you can put that in the offering box. A prayer from Sri Lanka that um, I heard years ago, jotted it down in my Bible because I love it. As water falls on dry tea leaves and brings out their flavor, so may your spirit, Lord, fall on us and renew us so we may bring refreshment and joy to others. Amen.